members of the endangered species herd. Happy New Year to you. Happy 2022. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. This was an exciting episode for Logan and me to record because we did it live on location in Dallas with a crowd of just under a thousand guys in their early 20s. The atmosphere was electric. It was a ton of fun. The sound is a little different on this episode because we had some trouble in the uh, place that we were recording the venue. Um, but it's not bad at all. And I'd really think it was worth keeping the live responses to stories, scriptures, and more. And so we decided not to re-record it in the studio and to go ahead and post it. Cheers. I got to start with a little manhood story. I've got three sons, and when my youngest son was five years old, I was down in the Gulf of Mexico with him, and I said, hey man, let's go do some fishing. So we go out to the Gulf, we're on the boardwalk, we catch some saltwater cats, we catch some crabs on accident. We're having a great time. After a couple hours, I'm like, let's head back to the crib. So we get our stuff together, I'm like, hey, did you grab the knife? He goes, yeah, I got the knife. And I start walking ahead of stone, and I turn around about halfway back to the condo and I see this five-year-old kid carrying this fishing knife, like a big butt knife, blade up like that. And I look at him and my first thought is like, didn't his mom teach him different? And then I was like, that's my wife, you know? So I turn to him and I go, hey man, did your wife not, or did your mom not teach you? <laughs> did your mom not teach you not to carry scissors and knives blade up? And he stops and he looks at me and dead serious, he goes, yeah, she taught me that, but think about it. And I'm like, think about what? He goes, think about it. He goes, if I'm walking and the blade is up and I trip and fall, I'll stab myself in the eye. But if I'm walking and I get the blade down and I trip and fall, I stab myself in the penis. It's five. No lie, five years old, he goes on. He goes, after all, Dad, what's more important? <laughs> my eye or my penis? <laughs> There's certain things that ladies cannot understand. That penis being important than an eye is one of them, Logan. What do you think? It is, man. It's good to be a man. I love being a man. It's great to be a male. I'm thankful for women. I'm grateful for my wife, but I love being a man, bud. Me too, Shawnee. Man, we're stoked to be with you guys. Uh, I am just a media producer. I just started out producing the Endangered Species podcast, and man, I'm grateful and humbled, Sean, that you've given me a voice on that platform. I'm, uh, I'm grateful and humbled to be in the room with all you men, and uh, man, I'm fired up to talk about godly, uncommon manhood today because it is uncommon. Um, man, Shani, we're talking about godly masculinity today. Have you always been on that path to godly masculinity? Uh, not even close. And, and many of you guys might be able to relate to this. Um, all sort of godly masculinity uh, aside, I didn't always feel like a man, let alone a godly man. I graduated from a respected private university with a decent GPA. I was socially competent. I was a college athlete. But when I graduated at 22 years old, um, I woke up as a 22-year-old dude one day and realized a few things about myself. 
Number one, I didn't know how to resolve conflict in a healthy way. I would shade out or I'd pout. I remember I dated this girl for a couple years. We broke up. A couple of weeks later, I'm in the grocery store and I see her parents and they're kind of off. They don't see me. So do I go engage? Hey, sorry, it didn't work out with me and your daughter. No, I shade behind the produce. I dive behind the apples, right? I didn't know how to resolve conflict uh, in, in, in a godly way. I didn't know how to make or handle money. I found myself at 25 years old, my net worth at 25 years old was minus five grand. I had a $7,000 student loan I was trying to knock out. I had a couple grand in the bank. I was dead broke. In fact, when I got married at 26, I, I literally repeated after the preacher, I, I was driving a, a Chevy S10 uh, that was worth about 500 bucks. Uh, the, the driver's side door was a different color than the rest of the truck. Rolling in style. Big time, I was big time. And, and I was standing up there and the preacher said, repeat after me, I pledge to you, him, all my earthly goods. Well, all my buddies are out in the audience and family members and everybody knows I'm broke as a joke. And when I said this at my wedding, I pledge to you all my earthly goods. The crowd literally at my wedding started laughing at me. No lie, story. I, I was still, as a college graduate, consumed by my lust. I knew how to take from women. I didn't know how to give to women. I didn't know how to pursue a woman and nurture a woman and encourage a woman and protect a woman. And to be honest with you, and to be honest with you guys, I could not have even given you a basic definition of what a man is. And I've found, speaking to college guys across the country, getting in conversations with them, most can't. Most don't know what a man is. Yeah, I wasn't able to for a long time. I resonate with a lot of what you're saying. I think a lot of us in the room probably do too. I know a lot of these guys um, personally, and some of these guys know my story probably more than know your story. Tell us a little bit about your manhood journey, man. Yeah, I think for me, um, growing up, I think I had this vision of masculinity, especially like in high school, of like, dude, the way to assert your dominance as a man is to get laid as much as possible is to pursue power and success kind of no matter what the cost and really some like variation of uh, shooting guns and, and eating meat and watching sports all of which I, I love but that's literally what I thought it meant to be a man was those things and uh, man Jesus started to come after me my freshman year of college I went to CU Boulder I think we have a couple bus in the room my guys, my guys. Um, and man when Jesus came after me he kind of blew up all my categories for masculinity and paved a totally new path for me and um, man, Sean, in reality, growing up, I never came close to being a man. I was, I was a little boy pursuing little boy things and I was immature and insecure, man, and I wouldn't have admitted it to you, but that's what characterized my life. So that's not the dude I know. So what, what changed for you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wish I could like tell you that I had this master plan of like cleaning up my life and, and picking myself up, but, and this might sound like overly spiritual to you, but I, I'm just being honest, like, Outside of Jesus breaking into my life and transforming everything, um, man, I, I would still be that little boy. And, and so it is solely that in, in all reality. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think uh, before we dive into um, defining what it means to be an uncommon godly man, Sean and I like to say that we are aspiring godly men. And I think it's important to say that up front. Um, man, I pray that no one leaves this room thinking that Sean or I have made it when it comes to being a man of God. Um, man, we are, are gonna be walking that path for the rest of our lives. And uh, we're in process with everybody in this room. Um, but before we dive in, uh, I think it's important to 
address something, man, today in our culture, I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to masculinity. You alluded to it, man. I, I, in college, I sure as heck could not have given you a definition of what it even meant to be a man. So, man, Sean, in our culture today, like, what, what's the messaging you're hearing when it comes to masculinity? There's so much out there. Uh, due to several years ago, I actually looked up the word man on Wikipedia. Uh, here are the words that come up. A grown male human. Not very helpful. Super helpful. <laughs> yes. Super helpful. Um, I think a lot of guys are lost when it comes to even what manhood is. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think one reason that is, is we do not have some sort of prominent rite of passage in our culture. That may seem, seem even like a weird phrase to use in our culture, but you guys think about it like around the world in different cultures, there, there is a time when you sort of get dubbed a man. Uh, if you grew up Jewish, uh, as Kenan did uh, sharing this morning, there's a bar mitzvah. There's sort of this coming of uh, age where you become a man, at least from a religious standpoint, in, in that uh, Faith, faith culture. Uh, I think about some of these tribal peoples. Man, some of them, they have like the 13-year-old boys like stick both hands in a, in, a, in a hive of bullet ants or something. Like if you shed a tear, you, you crack a, any kind of grimace of pain, like dude, come back next year, you're not a man yet. Um, there's, this, there's this one tribe, uh, we may even have a video on dude, this. Dude, I, I put a video on the slide. Did you really? Okay. Check so there's one, we'll show it in a second, but there, there's this one tribe where literally to become a man, you have to go out and gather a bunch of vines in the middle of a forest, and that is your bungee cord. So now you take these vines, you tie them around your ankle, and you dive off of this tower, like 45 feet in the air, and you're not a man if you stop short, like if your bungee cord is too short. Yeah, you gotta touch ground. Your, your face has to hit the ground, and then you're a man. We don't have anything like that. No, not even close. Um, you know, as, as I think about it, really, as, <laughs> uh, as an alternative, like what, what does our culture push us to? Like what is the messaging out there? What, what does culture say a man is? I think our culture pushes us down really two alternative paths uh, of masculinity. Um, there's this one path that you guys are very familiar with that says all masculinity is toxic, right? Anybody who goes down that path is wrong. You're, you're hyper aggressive, you're, you're high T, let's tone it down a little bit, right? Any show of strength is wrong. I think this is the same messaging that gives birth to uh, uh, women can be men too. There's no difference between men and women. It's wrong to say man up or be a man. Like there's this whole movement that says to say those things is not kind, it's not human. Uh, there's no difference between men and women. It's the same messaging that says uh, a woman can do anything a man can do. That's absurd. And it's absurd to say that a woman, that a man can do anything a woman can do. God created us equal, different, unique. He created us uniquely. Oh, yeah, dude. I went to school in Boulder. I think that message might have literally come out of there. So, <laughs> sorry. So, so there, there is another path that, that I think is, is equally off base, but I, it's the other path that I think our culture pushes us down. And, and it's this path, which is show out in a sense. Use your maleness to exploit. Use your maleness for power, for possession, for sexual gratification. Use your maleness to feed your pleasures, to exploit your youth, to exploit your maleness. Um, when I first heard the phrase toxic masculinity, I kind of poo-pooed it. I was like, that's stupid. I've, I've raged against it. But as I began to watch a number of 20-somethings and teen guys basically use their masculinity, to not protect women, but to use them for self-gratification, et cetera. 
I begin to think, you know, actually toxic is a pretty good word for that because it's, it's poisonous. It's not good for anybody. In, in toxic masculinity, I've come to believe does exist. It's when a guy just does whatever his flesh feels like doing. He goes unchecked. The spirit is not in control of his life. And he basically just uses people. And to be honest, I think this is probably more the path that a lot of the guys I spend time with are on. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely the, the, the vision for masculinity in my fraternity in college. That was what all my college buddies subscribed to. It was the, man, post-grad, high-rise apartment in the city, Tinder every night, trying new drugs, hitting bars four nights a week, climbing the corporate ladder, making more money. Um, I mean, it, it's crazy they've gone on to attain all those things, and it's, it's, a, it's a low vision for what it means to be a man. As I think about it, the reality is both paths, the, the don't be a man because a man doesn't exist and use your maleness to feed your flesh. They both fall sickeningly short, in my opinion, of the God man. And, and what the Bible says is God's plan or God's design for masculinity. Yeah. So where do we go from here? Um, look, with the compass of masculinity spinning out of control, Jesus Christ is true north. With the compass of masculinity spinning out of control, Jesus Christ is true north. Where else am I going to go for my model? Where am I? Gandhi was just a man. MLK was just a man. All these men, they were great men, but they were fallible men. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ doesn't just provide the alternative path. He provides the path. He is the God-man. And what I think is really cool is... That when God came to earth, he could have come in many forms. He came in the form not of a woman, but of a man. It's offensive, bro. I'm offended. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. Cancel me. Uh, <laughs> here's, here's the reality. It gives us as men, actually, an incredible model, but even less of an excuse about how to live. Because Jesus showed me exactly how I need to live as a man. Yeah. And when uh, when Jesus becomes true north in the life of a man, um, I mean, what's that life going to look like? I became a believer about 30 years ago, guys, and I started studying scripture about 25 years ago when I began to be discipled in college. So I studied scripture for 25 years. Also, 25 years ago, I started studying godly men which has been equally inspiring and equally impactful for me. And dude, I think you know this about me, but when I find a godly man, I become a detective. I pull out the, the monster magnifying glass and like, I want to study that guy. Like I want to know in what environment was he built in? Who were his friends and who was this guy's dad? And did he have a dad? Did he have a godly dad? I want to ask these guy, this guy questions. Who discipled him? What are his favorite scriptures? What kind of jobs has he had, right? What did his dating look like over the years? Has he always been the stud that he is? And even with the podcast, man, we've had so many guests on. I've been blown away and inspired by their, by their godliness. And it's made me want to delve in further and further uh, to get to know them and like how they were built like that. What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, it's been a privilege to sit down with some really incredible dudes. As we've done this podcast, it's been a blast. And I think as we've... Um, observe their lives. Uh, we'll, we'll throw this up on the screen, but I really think that there's five things that have stood out really clearly in the lives of these men. I and mean, they have peers that push them. They have mentors that model for them. 
They have a training plan that transforms them. They have God's word to guide them along the way. And they have the Holy Spirit to hone their strength in all, in all of those areas. And, and again, we, we've gotten to sit down with a ton of guys. And, and Sean, you've gotten to have just conversations outside the podcast with hundreds of thousands of more. And these five things really emerge to be true in the lives of all those men. And I would say 90% of these guys have had 100% of these things in their lives. As I look at those, I love that God's word to guide them. One of the things we did with our sons at an early age was had them memorize Psalm 1. If you know our sons, don't test them, because I don't know if they've retained that. But we had them memorize Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We have so much messaging coming from different angles in our lives, and yet the godly man says, God's word will guide me. I love that one, the training plan to transform him. One of the things my pastor talks about all the time is the difference between trying and training. If I run into a friend and he's lost like a couple pounds, and I go, dude, that's great, maybe you're trying to lose some weight. If he says, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying, right? Do I think that guy's actually going to hit his goal if he's just trying to lose weight? As opposed to, as I did the other day, three days ago, I ran into a guy, I go, man, you look really fit. Like, what are you doing? He goes, man, I'm training to run a marathon. You hear the difference? Like, if he just said, I'm trying to run a marathon, that marathon ain't happening, right? Mm -hmm. The training is superior to trying. And I, I love that these guys have had a training plan. Those things are absolute money. Yeah, and I think that they make... Um, Jesus true north in your life when you, when you are pursuing all those things. And so when that does happen, when Jesus does become true north, let's talk about some like particular character qualities that we've gotten to see in the lives of, of, of these kind of men. What's, what's some things that you see? We could share 30 or 40 of these guys, but these are just kind of consistent character, Christ-like, godly qualities we've seen in the men that we've interviewed. And the first one is this, just faithful. Yeah, faithful. Faithfulness. They make and keep commitments. Everybody has seen this with the bros. Like they make a promise and then they shade out. Uh, something better comes along, they change plans. Someone better comes along, they change wives, hence the phrase starter wife, right? I don't even think I've heard, is that a thing? You're looking starter at me like, you never heard that phrase starter wife? So have you guys heard that? So starter wife, you get these 55 year old dudes, they're bored with wife number one that they met in college. She's put on a couple pounds. They've got a bunch of money now. They're able to afford a nice car and attract a younger girl. And all of a sudden it's like, hmm, I think I could get a 30 year old wife instead of my 55 year old wife, send her on the divorce trail, bring in the new wife, what's the first wife called? Starter wife. Why do they do that? Because they're not faithful. I look at these men who keep their promise to their woman for life. A friend of mine was on a flight the other day and they celebrated a couple who had, because they've been married 75 years. Like dude, living 75 years would be unbelievable, right? These, this couple was married. I'm like, when did y'all get married at two? I didn't know what was going on there. It was unbelievable. Think about when Jesus had the chance to shade out. Remember when Jesus had the chance to shade out in the garden? He was about to be tortured. He was about to be murdered. Would you rather shade out or get tortured? <laughs> I'd rather shade out. Jesus didn't shade out at the time when he said, Father, let this cup pass from me if it can, but not my will, thine be done. I'm not going to shade out. This is why I came to earth. And he went and did what he came to earth for. Luke 9, 51. When the time came, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Well, that is where he would be tortured and murdered. And yet when the time came, it doesn't say that he shaded out. He didn't hide. He didn't go radio silent. 
Jesus resolutely went to Jerusalem and to follow in his footsteps to be a godly man is to be faithful. One of the things we talked about at our dinner table growing up over the years, we would talk about different character attributes, and one of those was faithfulness. And we would define them for our sons. And the way we define faithfulness is faithfulness means fulfilling what I committed to do, even if it means making unexpected sacrifices. Well, guess what? Any commitment you make on this earth that is worth anything, that is going to be worth anything, is going to require not just sacrifices, but additional unexpected sacrifices you you can book it so the godly man i see he pays his rent even if he loses his job he stays faithful to his wife even if she has a life-changing accident and they can't have sex anymore think about that like as a christian dude you have to wait until you get married if you're going to live pure in god's eyes you get married you're like sweet i'm having sex and then your wife at 33 becomes paralyzed and now what do you do do you go, oh man, I have drives. I'm a man who has drives. Like, too bad that that accident made her a starter wife. Or do you commit and follow through? When I was in college, I was starting to learn to not shade out. I grew up shady. But when I started following Christ, I started memorizing some scriptures where God was faithful, where Jesus is faithful. And I made this friendship with a, a, an attorney in town in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this attorney calls me up and he goes, hey man, I need a bunch of furniture moved on Friday. Can you and some of the boys get that done? I'm like, dude, we got it. So I, I call the guys, I was about to say text, but it was like landlines in the dorm rooms leaving messages in my day. And I gathered up four guys and they're like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll be there on Friday. Well, Wednesday, guy drops out. Thursday, guy drops out. Friday, two guys drop out. Bros shaded out. Bros shaded out. So now it's just me with about 30 hours worth of furniture to move within about five hours of daylight. I wanted to shade out. I wanted to call Steve and go, look, it isn't gonna happen. But I was starting to realize, I realized I want to be a faithful man. So I get out and I jump in my Chevy S10. I drive down to the homeless shelter in downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I get out and I start walking around sizing dudes up. Like who can carry furniture? And a couple of them could, but I found me some guys who could carry some furniture. And I'm like, guys, jump in the truck. And I roll out with, you know, we move this furniture. And Steve shows up when we're finished. And I think he was thinking like the college bros have changed since, since I was in college. But he's looking around and I'm like, and I ended up paying these dudes out of my own money. Took a loss. And every day that I see Steve in Tulsa and he introduces me to somebody to this day, he always goes, let me tell you a story about this dude in college. Now I always follow it up with, let me tell you a story about this dude in high school when I was terrible. But it left such an impact on him. The godly man has to be a faithful man. My dad left my mother before my first birthday. And I got to tell you, you don't think that impacts you guys, but it impacts you the rest of your life. I was married three years when my wife and I had a first, our first really big fight. That's pretty good, I guess. But I was fired up. I left the house. I was mad. I slammed the door. I get in the car. I'm acting like a 15 year old. I start rolling down the road and I started to hear the voices that I think my old man heard 25 years earlier. Man, this isn't worth it. Just leave. You don't have to put up with that. And those were the kind of things that were going through my mind. And then I thought, I could do that, but I can't do that and be a godly man. I needed to be faithful. Yeah, you know, I've definitely had that desire to quit quite a bit over the last five years of walking with Jesus. Um, man, I, I, my old life comes calling because in a lot of ways, my life before following Jesus was easier to be straight with you. Like following Jesus is hard, especially in our culture. And so there have been a lot of times, if I'm being like, I wish there wasn't, but a lot of times over the last five years where I've been like, man, 
in a lot of ways, I want to go back to that old life. I want to quit. Yeah, I agree. Look, feeling like you want to quit, especially in following Christ, feeling like you want to quit, universal, right? It's universal. What you do with that feeling separates from the, man, the men from the boys. Boys follow their feelings, men follow principle, and the feelings either come or they don't. And I love all that. Other than faithfulness, and what else do you see in the lives of men who have Jesus as true north? As we've observed these guys, the second thing I would say is courage. Courage. It could be moral courage. It could just be bravery. Uh, my hero is Jesus Christ. And one of my favorite passages of scripture, I think we can throw it up on the screen, is John 18. Again, Jesus is in the garden. He could shade out if he wants to. And look what it says in John 18. It says that Judas came to him. He brought a detachment of soldiers. They were armed with weapons. And verse 4 in the middle there absolutely blows me away, guys. Look what it says. It says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus could have ducked under a rock. He could have gone radio silent. He could have gone on a marathon run. He walks out there and he goes, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And it's amazing because they turn, they say, Jesus of Nazareth, and he goes, you got him. Now what? And actually the next verse says a bunch of them fell down. They were so blown away by his courage, they literally fell down. Think about the courage of Jesus. Dude, he oozes with courage time and time again. And uh, man, how, how, does, how does an aspiring young godly man, um, honestly like myself, uh, how does he practically grow in courage? This kind of courage that you're talking about. Like we, we had a guy on the podcast this fall named Stephen Mansfield. He wrote a book called Mansfield's Book of Manly Men. I'd encourage you to read it. It's a great read. It's inspiring. And he has an incredible manhood maxim. He says that a woman just is, a man must become one. Like a girl just has to grow up, right? And, you know, she's 15, 16. It's like, okay, she's a woman, right? Or 18, 21, whatever. A man must become one. I know 50 and 60 year old boys. And so Stephen Mansfield goes on to say, the way you become a man is you do manly things. You not, not just read about manly things or study godly men. You have to go out and do all the things, right? Because men learn by doing. So how do you become a courageous man? You become a courageous man by doing courageous things. For some of you, it would be incredible for you sometime in a class this January to offer a dissenting opinion from the professor. Uh, some of you guys have had the, prof the professor who has to rip on Christianity or Jesus, no matter the topic. It's of like the their day. life calling. Like it might be an engineering class and like somehow Jesus did wrong there somehow or something. It's unbelievable how some of these professors have this anger against Christianity or against the Lord. And, and so many guys I know, I understand it to be honest when girls do it, but so many guys I know shrink back and stay silent. Why? Because they don't want it to touch their grade. Right, But I admire the rare guy, I've known a few college guys who have done this, who just raise their hand and not disrespectfully, but with honor, with the respect a professor deserves, offers a dissenting opinion. Hmm. I actually disagree with that. Let's interact a little bit. If your professor can't handle that, that's on them. You, you learn courage by doing courageous things. If you're a follower of Christ, another way to grow in courage, share the good news of Christ with your friends, engage on the gospel with them. Yeah, dude, that gets the adrenaline pumping really quick and and grows courage quick, and it grows the kingdom of God, which is awesome. We tried to build courage in our sons over the years. I'll never forget. I'll brag on one of my sons. He's here. My oldest son. His name's Fish. Uh, when, Shout out, Fish. 
when Fish was a senior in high school, I, I caught him in our kitchen one day. And so here, here he is in the kitchen, and we're just standing there, and I'm drinking a Coke Zero or something. I'm like, what do you have to do? He goes, oh, I just got a prom date. I'm like, that's awesome. You know, who is it? Blah, blah, blah. And I go, how did you ask her out? He goes, oh, I just snapped her. And I was like, bro, like, you're Sean Baldor's son. I've been telling him for 18 years, man. Like, we do it face to face. We man up. We don't do it behind the screen, you know? And he looks at me and he goes, well, what should I do? And I go, man, if it was me, I would drive over there and I'd knock on her door. And when she comes to the door, I would apologize for the cowardly ask out. And I would say, actually, will you go to prom with me? I wanted to ask you in person. So I threw that out there, and then I turned around, I was drinking my Coke Zero, started doing some other stuff. I forgot about it. 45 minutes later, I'm sitting there watching TV, I turn over because the door, I turn because the front door opens and in walks Fish, and I go, what are you doing? And I'm like, where you been? He goes, what do you mean where I've been? I just went to her house. <laughs> in my mind, I was thinking, no way is he doing that, right? I was probably thinking, there's no way I would have done this. <laughs> I go, are you serious? I go, what'd you do? He goes, I did exactly as you said. I knocked on the door, she came down. I apologized for hiding behind the screen. I asked her to prom. And my 18 year old son was standing there, and I feel like there were these iron clads. <laughs> I was just like, let's go. You become a man by doing manly things, you become a courageous man by doing morally courageous things. Yeah, we, we need risk. Yeah, the fish I know is a courageous dude and it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, I'm biased. Like I think he's a stud. Men need an element of danger. Guys, our culture is all about safety. You know what? Safety is bad for men. Men need risk. Risk is right. Truth, listen to this quote by John Eldridge. I love this. John Eldridge wrote uh, Wild at Heart. Another manhood book is a must read. For godly men, he said, truth be told, most of us men are faking our way through life. We pick only those battles we are sure to win, only those adventures we are sure to handle, only those beauties we are sure to rescue. No risk. Dude, seven in 10 missionaries from America are female. That one keeps me up at night, honestly. Like I literally lay awake at night, lay awake at night thinking about how three in 10 overseas missionaries from America are men. Like. What are we doing? On the good side, like if you want to get married, do yeah. You got, you, got a, you got a nice cry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But dude, that's in, there is mission trips are one of the mainliest things you can do. There's a mission trip, I think this August, where you carry a 50 pound backpack through the Himalayas. You land in different villages and you share the gospel with people who have never heard it before. It's so sick. Hey, if you want to do that, that, we have a link to that. Like we'll, we'll show you. Come you talk to us afterward. Yeah. Man, I, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, is, is you know, there used to be a show on, I don't know, one of these channels called Dangerous Jobs. Some of you guys remember that, as an old show. <laughs> the most dangerous job ever handed out in the history of the world was the Great Commission. And do you know that it was given to men? That there were 11 men, Judas bailed, there were 11 men that Jesus gave the most dangerous job in the history of the world. More people have suffered, more people have been tortured, more people have literally lost their lives for the Great Commission than any other job in the history of the world. And that is a job he gave to men. It takes courage to not care if you get canceled. It takes courage to not care about what people say you on the frat group meet. It takes courage to not 
uh, care if guys are ripping on you for not hooking up with girls and not getting drunk and all do and not doing all the things you used to do. I get that. That's hard. Like I'm 48, and I can tell you guys, I don't know when peer pressure ends, but it's after 48 because I still sometimes, with my friends from back in high school, when I see them, I still feel peer pressure. Okay, I'm not sitting here as someone who's some hero of courage, but I'm telling you, it's something we need to work through so that we can become that. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who are you looking for? We need that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in uh, moving, moving to the next point, I think in addition to men who make and keep commitments and men who, who show courage, um, and the guys that we've observed, the guys that we've gotten to have on the podcast, man, they, you see some serious humility in, in their life. Um, Man, I love Mark 10, 45, speaking of Jesus, says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many, man, Jesus was epitomized by his humility and by his service. He was a humble servant. Man, Matthew 23 comes to mind. Verse 11, it shows how in the economy of God, power looks a heck of a lot different than it does in our world. Man, it's about going last. It's about putting others first. It's about humbling yourself. And Jesus was... The perfect image of that our culture is telling us that um, manliness is is a grab for power and, and true north is telling us that true power is found in in humble service one of the most powerful men i ever knew was a 65 year old farmer in small town oklahoma uh, years ago a friend of mine i was discipling this guy and it was his dad and so on weekends we would go spend time with james heinzig James Heinzig worked 12 hours a day out in the fields. He'd be chasing cattle. He'd have a chainsaw in his hand, about to chop down some dead wood off some of his trees. The guy was an absolute beast. And then at 6.30 at night, James would come in for dinner, and James would stand up while we would all sit around the table, and his, his wife, Miss Ray Ellen, just an unbelievable Southern woman, would make us dinner, and then she would sit down, and then James would pray, and then James would not sit down. James would spend the next hour just walking around eating his food. And once you ran out of mashed potatoes, he'd go get some and he'd put them on your plate. And anytime Miss Ray Ellen, her, her sweet tea would get to about half a glass, he would come over and replace it. He would fill it up to the top and then he'd brag. Every single time he'd pour a little bit of sweet tea in there, have I ever told y'all about my Miss Ray Ellen over here? Like, yeah, like the last time you poured tea, you did, you know? And he would tell us one more good thing about his wife. And I remember thinking, what a humble man but also what a powerful man because he didn't have to be the guy who was served. He was the guy who just stood up and said, I'm going to serve. It blew me away. G uh, J John the Baptist said about Jesus, John 3.30, I think it is. John the Baptist said, he must become greater. I must become less. Do we not live in a culture where we're all like trying to get followers and trying, like we're all trying to be greater, especially as guys, that's the temptation, right? Like, you'll see this out in the work world. Like, you'll see a bunch of guys, they want to make more, a lot of money. And part of the reason they want to make a lot of money is they want to make more money than you. It's a competition thing, right? It's a dude thing. We can understand that. And yet, John the Baptist said, the most powerful thing I could do is make a big deal about him. I need to become less and make a big deal about Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, when I hear that verse and when I think of humility, one of my best friends, Alex, comes to mind. Uh, loves Jesus more than anything in the world, and it's my fraternity brother in college, and he was the Pike Pledge educator. Any Pikes in the room? Let's go! Yeah, bye, 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 baby. Uh, ditto, ditto. Alex Ditto was the Pike Pledge educator, 
and one of his many responsibilities was getting all of our pledges to the house at 6 a.m. the morning after the party to do a deep clean. And may you know who was right there scrubbing floors alongside those pledges every morning at 6 a.m.? Ditto. Man, you know who those guys, those pledges respected more than anybody else in that house? Ditto. And it wasn't a coincidence. Just serving others, that's incredible, man. Yeah, he's a beast. Um, man, let's, let's keep going. What else have you seen in the lives of these godly men? Uh, another area that I've seen is an area you don't think about very much for godly men, but self-control. I want to share an insane scripture with you guys. This is kind of one of my favorite scriptures. I don't think we have it on the screen, but it's Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted in every way we are, yet was without sin. And what used to blow me away was that he was without sin. Like to me now, I take that for granted. I'm like, that's unbelievable. But of course, of course it is. It was Jesus. What blows me away now is that it says Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. Think about that. Think about the drives you have as a man, a, a money drive or financial drive, a competitive drive, a sexual drive, right? And then he says, the godly man brings these under control. The Bible says the fruit of the spirit is self-control. And so it's not like Jesus, like how did Jesus achieve that? How did he uh, be tempted in every way we are. Like, you don't think there was some pretty girl 2,000 years ago that may have caught his eye? It had to for a second, right? And yet, was without sin. How did Jesus do that? Like, did he have abnormally low teeth? No. Right? I didn't <laughs> think we were going to be talking about Jesus' testosterone today. Right. No. <laughs> Single or married, the godly man tames his passions. Single or married, the godly man is sexually disciplined. He doesn't use women. He protects women. Uh, we used to live in Northwest Arkansas. There was a, a guy there we called D. D was a Christian, an incredible guy. He was a single guy. He was 31 years old. He went on a date with this girl. And against his better judgment, after dinner, she invited him to her house. He's like, oh, I guess everybody will be over there, you know. And they get over there, and everybody's not over there. It's just him and her. And they go out in the backyard. She goes, hey, I've got a hot tub. Do you want to grab a hot tub? And against his better judgment, D goes, yeah, that sounds great. What's better than a hot tub, right? So he drives back home, grabs his swim trunks, comes back, and he jumps in the hot tub. She jumps in the hot tub with him. And now he's sitting there kind of going, I don't know if this is a good idea. And so she gets up after a while and she goes, hey, I'll be back in a couple minutes. Well, she goes into the house and he's kind of looking at the stars and everything. And then he looks back at the sliding door and it slides open and coming back toward the hot tub is girl, only now she's completely nude. Have you guys ever seen one of these guys that can stand in the shallow end of the pool and like jump out onto the, the pool deck? A couple, I've seen a couple of you guys do that actually. That's what Dee did at that moment. He jumps out of the hot tub and runs past the girl to his car, leaves his clothes, jumps in the car and takes off. Dude became a legend. I'm like, bro, really, really dumb decisions, like three or four dumb decisions, but Unbelievable self-control in the moment. That guy became a legend in my mind. That is pretty legendary. How did Jesus treat women? Honor, dignity, respect. How would Jesus navigate our culture with all the easy apps and easy hookups with honor, with dignity, respect? Yeah, man, guys who want to look like Jesus, I think do what's right regardless of whether they feel like it or not, which is hard. Like we're, we're in a culture that tells us to let our feelings drive the car um, but man, that's not what Christ-like men do. Um, 
that's not what that's not what it means to live by principle. And uh, man, I, I think mature men uh, act and let their feelings follow. Hundred percent. And none of this is possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't just try to be good guys. We don't just try to discipline ourselves and have self-control in our own man strength, right? And so that's another thing we've observed is that these guys walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and the men that we've gotten to sit down with are full of the Holy Spirit rather than being full of themselves. That's our next point, being full of the Holy Spirit. And I think when a man is filled with the Holy Spirit, he's controlled by the Spirit. Um, It's what it looks like when God takes control of your whole life. And uh, man, when God takes control of a man's life, he's going to exhibit what Galatians 5 says are the fruits of the Spirit and things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, just to name a few, some really outward showing things. Um, man, one of, one of the core beliefs at my church back home in Arizona is that we as followers of Jesus are naturally supernatural people. Naturally supernatural. So what that means is we're walking around in our natural bodies of flesh, but filled with the supernatural spirit of God. And so just like Jesus, we should walk around in the day-to-day of our natural world um, empowered by a supernatural spirit. And I think that naturally supernatural life, it it leads to faithfulness in a world of inconsistency. It leads to courage in the face of adversity. It leads to uh, humility in a world of self-promotion. And I think it leads to self-control in a world with a lot of temptation in it. 100%. 100%. I, I want to share one last quality, guys, that we've noticed in these godly men. And it's the quality of leading other men. You can't be a godly leader on an island because the very nature of trying to be a Christ-like man means you're concerned with others. means you've got to be interested in the bros. means you've got to care about the next generation. A lesson that I didn't learn really until my late 20s when I had kids, and I always told myself, Tell college guys this, tell college guys this, because I did not know this in college, and here it is. Life is about the next generation. Life is not about you. Life is about, and I'm not talking about having kids necessarily. I'm just talking about the next generation spiritually. The guy who's a year younger than you, the the kid who's five years younger than you, maybe it's your little brother. Life is about the next generation. We live in a culture right now that says men don't matter. And we live in a culture that says men don't matter in the lives of children. Like it doesn't matter, single mom, you know, who's whoever's in the home. Like it doesn't matter because the, the kid can have just the same experience. It doesn't really matter what kind of family structure you have. That's the messaging you're getting every single day on Disney, on Netflix, etc. Do men matter in the lives of children? 63% of suicides fatherless homes 90% of homeless and runaway children fatherless homes 85% of children with major behavior disorders at school fatherless homes 20 times the average fatherless homes 71% of kids who drop out of school fatherless homes men matter fathers matter why do we never hear anyone upset anymore about fatherlessness in our culture? Because that would mean our culture needs men and people don't want to say that for some sick reason. I don't understand it, but the statistics could not be more wrong. They, they did a, 
uh, Hallmark Cards did something at a prison several years ago. They said, Let, let's go bless some moms and let's bless some prisoners. So Hallmark Cards went into a prison in Colorado and they gathered 4,000 prisoners. They gave them a free card, a free envelope, and a free stamp and said, Mother's Day is coming up. We want you guys to write a note to your mother. And guys stood in a line 4,000 deep to write a, a Mother's Day card for their mom. It was such a success, Hallmark said, let's go back to the prison for Father's Day. They got their 4,000 cards, their 4,000 envelopes, their 4,000 stamps. You know how many guys rolled out from the prison yard that day to write a letter to dad? What do you think? Like half, a third, a quarter? Literally, it's gonna sound too crazy. Zero guys showed up. I have a friend in prison right now. I talk to him monthly. There are 49 guys, 49 other guys on his wing. I asked him one day, how many of those 49 guys had a good relationship with their dad? He goes, zero. I go, dude, surely there's one. He goes, I've been here three years. Zero. Men matter in the lives of the next generation. And here's what I wanna share with you guys as we close. It's later than you think. What do I mean by that? It's later than you think. Like if we were to come back together in this room 10 years from now, so many of you guys would be married. If we were to come back in this room five years from now, a lot of you guys would be married. A lot of you guys would be dads. A lot of you guys would be like real guys out in the world, needing to live a godly life, needing to show that model in the world. It's later than you think. The time to start training in these areas to become a godly man, the best time was like eight years ago. The next best time is today. And so I hope you're sobered. I hope you're inspired. I hope you're like, dude, it is later than I think. I need to get on it. I want to share a brief story as we close. On D-Day, June 6th, 1944, am I getting my ear right? The Americans and the British, we, we invaded France, right? The Germans had dug in. And some of you guys have read a lot about D-Day and, and seen movies, etc. But a true story about a guy named Brigadier General George Taylor blows me away. Because on that day, our men were going onto the beaches. We were getting absolutely destroyed by German gunfire. And so was Brigadier General George Taylor's regiment. They were cornered into a little cove. There was a 30-foot cliff in front of them. The only other choice was to go back into the ocean and get either drowned or get shot. And they were hunkered down and they were going nowhere and his men would just get picked off left and right. And he's like, I got to do something. I got to say something. So he turns to his men and he goes, all right, listen up, yelling over gunfire. He goes, there's only two kinds of men on that beach today. Those who are dead and those who are going to die. Let's scale this cliff. And everybody just went toward the cliff. These guys got up. Some guys who were in a cradle position got up. They were inspired. They scaled the cliff. And he, his regiment became one of the breakthrough regiments on that day, D-Day. And the world was kept free uh, in large part because of men like him. But I love that line because here's the deal. There are only two kinds of men in this room, right? Those who are going to die and those who are going to die sooner than those guys. We are all going to die. This life is so stinking short. It is a breath. The Bible says it's a mist. It's like a puff of smoke. It's like cold weather when you breathe out and then it's gone. That's how fast we will be forgotten. The Bible says your place will remember you no more. 
Now is the time to go, man, I need to pursue and claim my Christ-like manhood now. Against the odds and against the crowd, because you will not hear voices cheering you on for that in the fraternity. Not that I've seen. Not many. Not my fraternity. (laughs) Not Pike. (laughs) Not Pikes, man. Maybe some of the other fraternities. (laughs) Man, I feel like I'm ready to run through a brick wall after that. I am too. (laughs) Man, guys, that's all the time we got for you. That's it. Man, that was so much fun. That was electric. I loved being with those guys. Tons of you guys came up afterward to talk to Logan and me. Loved your thoughts. Loved your questions. And more than anything, loved your passion to be different, man, to have um, different DNA and to be cut from a different cloth. Uh, That is the kind of men we're looking for in the herd. So, man, you guys made my blood run faster. My heart beat quicker. It was so fun to be with you. Uh, We're going to do more of that, man. We're going to do more where we're coming to you. We're going to do some live on-location recordings, especially in college towns. So look for it. We'll announce it on the pod when we're coming to town. But man, we love you guys. We appreciate you. We're so proud of you. You guys are trying to live a different life than the vast majority of other American men around you. And uh, I thank God for you. Peace.